MSW Media. Season four of How We Win is here. For the past four years, we've been making history in critical elections all over the country. And last year, we made history again by expanding our majority in the Senate, eating election-denying Republicans in crucial state house races, and fighting back a non-existent red wave. But the MAGA Republicans who plotted and pardoned the attempted overthrow of our government now control the House, thanks to gerrymandered maps and repressive anti-voter laws. And the chaotic spectacle we've already seen shows us just how far they will go to seize power, dismantle our government, and take away our freedoms. So the official podcast of The Persistence is back with season four. There's so much more important work ahead of us to fight for equity, justice, and our very democracy itself. We'll take you behind the lines and inside the rooms where it happens with strategy and inspiration from progressive changemakers all over the country. And we'll dig deep into the weekly news that matters most and what you can do about it with messaging and communications expert, co-founder of Way to Win, and our new co-host, Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. So join Steve and I every Wednesday for your weekly dose of inspiration, action, and hope. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. And And this this is is How We Win. Win. is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 21 of Clean Up on Aisle 45. It is Wednesday, June 9th. I am your co-host, Allison Gill, also known as AG. (laughs) And I'm Andrew Torres. And we have a fantastic show for you today. But first, as always, we need to thank our patrons who support the show over at patreon.com slash aisle 45 pod for as little as a buck an episode. So, you know, you haven't done that. Consider doing that now. It's a great way to say you love this collaboration and you want this partnership to continue. Mm, Despite what I have to say about it. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, And a big thank you to the world's a better place because Thomas Smith puts hours of labor into making it more informed, funnier, and kinder every week. Master debater, Kyle from Appalachia, in Appalachia, we pronounce it Appalachia, Rose (laughs) Kinner, and Jim Finley. And thanks to Jerry Irby Holden, 
Pear, that's P-E-H-R, hope I'm saying that correctly, David Agland, and becoming a patron to say I appreciate the Scott Joplin in the ad breaks, not that I'll hear those anymore. And and that person is correct, by the way. You know, you get the show ad free if you sign up. Yep, that's one big perk. Uh, and sometimes we do karaoke and pub trivia uh, on Saturdays every, every now and again. So on to the A block involving everyone's favorite Democratic <sighs> Republican Senator, Joe Manchin. <laughs> Yeah, and since I've been on team Kirsten Cinema is worse than Joe Manchin for um, you know, 5 months now. Uh this real bad. Okay, so uh, Joe Manchin wrote an editorial that was published Sunday, June 6th, the day before we're recording this, explaining why he's not only refusing to vote to weaken the filibuster, which is something he's said consistently since inauguration, but also why he'd be voting against the most significant piece of voter protection legislation advanced in the past half century. That is H.R. 1 S. 1, the For the People Act, which, you know, got that one designation for a reason. Um, and uh, Spoiler, uh, it, it has nothing to do with the content of the legislation uh, with which Joe Manchin has expressed no disagreement. Um, and basically every part of his editorial is uh, shockingly poorly thought out. <laughs> yeah, not only shockingly poorly thought out, spectacularly shockingly poorly thought out in light of new numbers that just came out today. Andrew, while you were on a plane today, uh, there was a, a poll in West Virginia, 79% of his constituents support the For the People Act. Now, it begins with Manchin, this op-ed, begins with Manchin arguing that, quote, the right to vote is fundamental to our American democracy and protecting that right should not be about party or politics. Okay, hard agree. Least of all, protecting this right, which is a value I share, should never be done in a partisan manner. Okay, hard agree. Senator Manchin, when one party, and let's be clear, that party is the Republican Party, is engaged in open voter suppression to benefit it and only it, you shouldn't be surprised to discover that the party it benefits is not super interested in voting in legislation to stop those benefits. <laughs> and I'm not exaggerating here. Georgia's SB 202, the no you can't give out water to voters standing in line bill, passed the Georgia Senate 34 to 20. 34 Republicans voted for it. Zero Republicans voted against it. Zero Democrats voted for it. 20 Democrats voted against it. And the pattern was the same in the House. 100 Republicans for, zero against, 74 against Democrats, zero for. You cannot get more partisan than that. Yeah. And that is the primary purpose of H.R. 1 is to preempt state legislation like this, like gerrymandering uh, that is specifically tailored to create majority minority districts. Right. I, it 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 should not surprise Senator Manchin that the opposition to that comes from the party that's getting raked over the coals. All right, yeah. And here's his how- justification, <laughs> his justification makes uh, no sense. Try explain it, it, it to me because I don't. Yeah. Get it. I here's how he says, quote, this more than 800 page bill. And look, parenthetically, I have occasionally complained about the length of bills, but usually in the context of the fact that I've had to read it in an hour and a half before the show. When when an elected official complains that a bill is too long, it's almost always because they have no other arguments against it. Uh, I've read the bill. Joe Manchin is paid to read the bill. If he can't read 800 pages, let's elect someone who can. Anyway, this more than 800 page bill has garnered zero Republican support. Why are the very Republican senators who voted to impeach Trump because of actions that led to an attack on our democracy 
unwilling to support actions to strengthen our democracy are these same senators whom many in my party applauded for their courage now threats to the very democracy we seek to protect. Mm, yes. Yes. Sorry. I'll, I'll let you go. <laughs> I mean, these senators were at ground zero for the Trump administration's request to add the citizenship question to the census in 2017. They have, these are the senators who do not win unless, <laughs> unless they cheat. Right. Uh, they have in closed door hearings, her deceased gerrymandering expert Thomas Huffelar testify <laughs> in his words, in his words, to them, into their ear holes, that adding such a question would be advantageous to white Republicans, <laughs> Republicans and non-Hispanic whites. Quote, I'm not I'm not putting the word white in there. No. Huffelar did. And that his effort was being put into effect across the country wherever Republicans could redraw congressional districts. So, yes, we have good evidence that they're at least willing to be complicit with threats to democracy so long as they benefit from it, i.e. remain in power. The issue was that they didn't benefit from the 1-6 insurrection. I, hard to argue with that, okay? But but look, even if we're going to straw bot Manchin's position, right, the argument is that we have seven at most right at most seven republican senators who have the bare minimum of political integrity right the three most bipartisan right lisa murkowski susan collins mitt romney you know that group along with ben sass from nebraska pat toomey in pennsylvania bill cassidy in louisiana and the person i picked as the focal point of yodel mountain back in a much more innocent 2017 uh richard burr from from north carolina so look Let's assume that voting for the bare minimum, right, that is voting to convict a president who calls for and gets an open insurrection means that you're also for strengthening democracy. Not, not sure that it does, but let's make that assumption. I know that you're exceptionally good at math, AG, so you don't need me to point out that 50 Democrats plus seven Republicans equals a number that is still not 60. Mm, yep. Very good. Very good. I can confirm that math. And. <laughs> Yep, that's an own goal. By Manchin's <laughs> own logic, 43 Republicans are unambiguous threats to democracy, so unambiguous that they voted against impeaching the insurrectionist-in-chief and then organized a filibuster to prevent us from investigating that insurrection for a bill they wrote, by the way, yep. <laughs> in the bipartisan way Manchin would have wanted. So when Senator Joe says, as such, congressional action on federal voting rights legislation must be the result of both Democrats and Republicans coming together to find a pathway forward, or we risk further dividing and destroying the republic. Oh, we swore to protect and defend <laughs> as elected officials. That means literally nothing. And we yeah. can prove it <clears throat> by doing what Manchin says he and his buddy Murkowski are willing to support by just putting forth a clean John Lewis voting rights advancement backed right just the voting rights bill without the rest of the hr1 around it and watching republicans filibuster it to death maybe then we can bring pressure back on mansion and maybe that's what he's waiting for you have to prove me wrong 762 times before i'm gonna <laughs> yeah you know? I, this is this is charlie brown with the football though and and look like this op-ed does not help if you're thinking that maybe uh, you know, he's going to figure it out this time. Uh, let's let's quote from the filibuster section. 
Democrats have again proposed eliminating the Senate filibuster rule in order to pass the For the People Act. They've attempted to demonize the filibuster and conveniently ignore how it has been critical to protecting Democrats in the past. Just four short years ago, Trump was publicly urging Senate Republicans to eliminate the filibuster. Then 33 Senate Democrats penned a letter to Senators Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell warning of the perils of eliminating the filibuster. And, how many? And, how many? Yeah, 33. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, but look, Manchin is, is almost sort of right here in that this will make it easier for future Republican presidents with Republican Congress to, to pass laws, right? The bet that you're making as a Democrat is give us a fair and equal playing field and people won't elect Republicans, right? But But here's the secret that I am positive Manchin knows, but won't say for some reason. I can't figure it out. The filibuster already systematically, strategically advances and benefits Republicans who, by and large, don't want to pass laws, right? They're the party of government doesn't work. And then when it does work, break it and claim the government doesn't work, right? That the, the only law they want to pass are tax cuts, and they can already do that through the budget reconciliation process, right? So yeah, Republicans, by and large, are really happy with the status quo. It stops them from doing truly crazy, insane stuff that would probably lose them elections anyway. I mean, by bigger margins. Yeah. Uh, and and it prevents Democrats, who are the party that tells you that government can get stuff done, from getting stuff done. Yeah. And, you know, I, on this very show and on a couple of other shows, was like, we got to be careful eliminating. Maybe we do mini nukes of the filibuster because <laughs> we are a heartbeat away from losing the majority in the Senate. Uh, midterm elections generally don't go the way of the incumbent party uh and we could lose the house and the senate or both in in 2022 which means then republicans could push through anything they wanted but as this goes on and and you know that was before they used the big lie to to try to shove through and successfully in some cases shove through voter suppression laws okay so now i am changing <laughs> my position on this is a break the glass moment in my yeah. mind and the only way to prevent this from happening and i'm like hey even if it's just a clean if we can't get hr1 passed because there are there are democrats and angus king and people who wouldn't vote for hr1 as it is now but sure put it up for debate but if you just put a clean voting rights act through there maybe a couple of republicans will come over to to carve out the filibuster for voting laws you know for or you know mm. I, I don't know like a strategic uh, d core democracy legislation uh, filibuster or just for this filibuster uh, get rid of it for this and then maybe you know maybe some Republicans will come along but uh, this is like I said a break the glass moment and Democrats are aligning against it right uh, the status quo yeah uh, Carl Hulse for the New York Times notes that back in 2011, a Democratic proposal to abolish the filibuster garnered just 12 votes, whereas today the vast majority of Senate Democrats have come around to the view, like myself, that the filibuster rules have become the primary obstacle to the meaningful policy changes uh, that enjoy broad support. So Democrats have now expressed a willingness to take the fight to the American people to convince the public at large the filibuster is being abused by Senate Republicans intent on depriving them and Biden of legislation, crucial legislation. Quote, if uh, we want to protect the right to vote, we have to repeal the filibuster. That's Senator Markey of Massachusetts. Yep. Uh, if we want gun safety legislation, we have to repeal the filibuster. If we want to save the planet from climate, the climate crisis, we have to repeal the filibuster. And that's all 
true. Yeah, uh, but, you know, I mean, I hate to be the pessimistic one here. Uh, I think Manchin's words were strong for a reason. Um, and I think that, that part of what that means is that it, it's time to dig in, uh, figure out what we can do with 50 votes. Right. Um, and, and I 100 percent agree on the on the plan of advance the, the, the John Lewis Voting Rights uh, Act uh, and, you know, call this this bluff. Um, it means the kind of structural change we've been talking about uh, dreaming on in the first couple of months um, the For the people act uh, statehood for D.C. and Puerto Rico. Um, I, it, I think we realistically have to say uh, that we've got to win a bigger margin in the Senate b- before we can go back to talking about that. Um, give give Biden a a mansion proof majority. We're going to get him a filibuster proof majority. Uh, but start working hard right now in the 2022 midterms. Um, and look, I get it. Uphill battle because it's a midterm. And like you've said, incumbent parties typically lose in the midterms. Right. Um, it it. It's going to be worse in these midterms uh, because many, many Democrats are going to be demoralized for precisely the reason the filibuster needs to go. Right. Like I'm talking to my progressive friends right now, you know, who are frustrated and they look out and they say $15 an hour minimum wage is popular, you know, 70 to 80 percent. In, in states like West Virginia, across the country, why can't we get that, right? And the answer is because we don't have enough Democratic senators. And they say, yeah, well, you know, this is what happens. And I get that demoralization. Let me tell you, uh, unless you give Biden a mansion-proof majority, I, I, uh, we're not going to get it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and perhaps the biggest reason it's going to be an uphill battle um, we had an existential crisis, an existential threat to democracy on the ballot in 2020, right? Like you could pull people and be like, you know, just point over at Trump and be like, monster, get monster. At, and like, we just barely got monster out. And, and you know, Trump won't be on the ballot, but like his lackeys are, they will be, they are still openly running on sedition and conspiracy. And, and I, 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 by conspiracy, I mean, like we fake the moon landing conspiracy, not just, you know, conspiracy to commit more sedition. Yeah. The demoralization is what worries me. I see it all over yeah. social media. Ah, well, I did all that work for nothing. F this. I'm not voting it, for Democrats It was anymore. nothing. I, I, I know. I know. I know this. you know I'm that. I'm telling you what everybody is saying, and I have to keep arguing. That's not for nothing. Um, but you're right. We're going to have to circumvent voter suppression. We're going to have to jump over more hurdles to get yep. more people out. We're going to have to do it again. We're going to have to vote in numbers too big to manipulate. And we have to do that in an environment where Republicans are going to make it harder to vote early, to vote during off hours, to vote by mail. But there is really good news here when you look at the Senate map for 2022. And this is the one thing I'm holding on to. Yeah. <laughs> Republicans are retiring in Pennsylvania, Toomey, Pat Toomey, North Carolina, Richard Burr, uh, and Ohio, Rob Portman, right? You know, yep. should all be winnable seats. We can mobilize against idiots like Ron Johnson in Wisconsin and the feckless Marco Rubio in Florida. We can do this for the Senate, but we have to do it. With one hand tied behind our back and in heels backwards, and yeah. and 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 Andrew, you and I talked about this. Like, all right, we got fifty in the Senate. We're not going to get to pass anything that we want to pass. Um, 
We can do a couple of budget reconciliation things. We said this early, early on. We're going to do the budget reconciliation stuff. Uh, we can uh, rule by executive order for a while, maybe use the courts to our advantage. We've, we've talked about this, you and I, Andrew. I know that we have. And it's what we're going to have to do. Uh, and, and and I'm sorry, and I hope nobody gives up. And I I, I want to encourage the, the, the doom and gloom people that, I said that this would happen. So <laughs> just you know, I, it it just remember where you were the last 4 years, right? Like it 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 the baseline is not against, you know, uh, a, a a a a Bernie Sanders Liz Warren administration like you know with 72 uh progressive senator, right? Like that's not the baseline. The baseline is 4 years of Donald Trump. You know, two of which were were with a Republican Senate. Um, we wouldn't think, be opening up again. We wouldn't be seventy percent vaccinated or sixty four percent vaccinated with one shot. We wouldn't be anywhere near where we are right now. Mm-hmm. All of the other things that we talk about being cleaned up would not have been cleaned up. We would be in dire straits with hundreds thousands of more dead. We could have a position and look at it right. Like the the Republicans have picked a couple of strategic votes right in which they've come out and and. Uh, you know, a, a announced that uh, their symbolic opposition to Kristen Clark and 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 Vanita Gupta. Um, if Republicans held the Senate, we might not have an Attorney General right now. We might not have a Secretary of State. They could literally block cabinet appointment. I mean, we we went through this. You and I talked about it. We went through this in painstaking detail on opening arguments. And so, you know, uh, 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 this. Super sucks from Mansion. We we have not you know rose colored that in any way whatsoever. But but if you look back at uh, at all of the things that you know we have rightfully been proud of uh, over the past four and a half months, uh, that that there's a, there's a lot there, and I think that's enough to to say like let's get out and organize. And if you if you get right, it's not like Biden has said, well, hey, I really approve of what Joe Manchin is doing. No, Biden threw a press conference and said, I, I sometimes feel like these guys are playing for the other team. Right. Like it, it, I, it. I feel like we've done an awful lot to be able to move Biden to the left. And the question is, are you willing to keep working? I loved your analogy to the, you know, doing it backwards when it heals. Somehow, uh, I, I think our women listeners are probably uh, a little less fragile and a little more, you know, uh, willing to to uh, to say, yeah, that, that the system stacked against us. It doesn't mean you don't try. Mm, yeah, we got this. Come along. All right. We'll be right back. We've got to take a quick break. We're going to come back and talk about some better news <laughs> in the cleanup in aisle 45. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, maybe we'll get to a little bit of, uh, more, uh, of my angst about this new department of justice. We'll see. Anyway, we'll be right back. Stay with us. Hi, everyone. Thanks for supporting Cleanup on Aisle 45. This is Allison. And today's episode is brought to you by the good people at Talkspace. Using Talkspace feels a a little like having a therapist in your pocket. That's why being able to reach out to my therapist or my psychiatrist anytime from anywhere makes taking care of my mental health really easy. I'm more relaxed when I'm traveling just knowing that they're there. Knowing if I need to talk with my therapist, I can just send a message from wherever I am. Working through things in therapy can be tough, but connecting with my therapist is not. I wholeheartedly recommend Talkspace for therapy. You can sign up online and start therapy the same day. And you can text, video, or send voice messages to your licensed therapist. It's so incredibly convenient to have 
virtual sessions from the comfort of your own home. Talkspace is a fraction of the cost of in-person therapy. Instead of waiting for an appointment, you can send unlimited messages to your therapist 24-7 and they'll engage with you daily, five days a week. Talkspace has thousands of licensed therapists with years of experience and over 40 specialties, including depression or anxiety, substance abuse, trauma, anger management, relationship issues, food and eating, so much, so many, so many experts. Talkspace is secure and private, using the latest end-to-end bank-grade encryption technology to store client information and complying with the latest HIPAA regulations. As a listener of the podcast, you get $100 off your first month with Talkspace. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com and make sure to use the code CLEANUP, all one word, to get $100 off your first month and show your support for the show. That's promo code CLEANUP, all one word, at Talkspace.com. All right, everybody, welcome back. Before I get into some little bit of good news, I just wanted to vent for a second about some news that just came out about this Department of Justice who, Andrew, they are now saying that, you remember the E. Jean Carroll case for defamation? Oh, yes. <laughs> and uh, uh, Trump's defense, the Department of Justice, Barr's Department of Justice was going to defend Trump or the Trump, the presidency, Trump as president, uh, for him saying, for calling E. Jean Carroll a liar about being raped uh, in a department store dressing room a couple of decades ago. Uh, and that was the defamation she's suing him for. A, a judge allowed this lawsuit to go forward. A- and uh, the Department of Justice wanted to represent Trump, saying, hey, we should get to represent Trump because when he said that, uh, you know, he was just doing it was part of his job as president. And then a judge decided, no, no, uh, calling a woman a liar for saying that she raped you is not part of your job as president. Sorry. Eh. Uh, well, now the Department of Justice, this Department of Justice has weighed in and said, yeah, no, we actually sorry. Yeah, no, we're going to defend the president here, the former president here and 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 say that what he said was part of his job, part of his duties as president. Uh, and so that's, and they want to use our tax dollars to defend his defamation because he said it while he was president. Yeah. And, and, and look, this is where institutional checks are important. And how do we get back into a position where we can reinstate actual institutional checks with teeth? Well, you know, I mean, that, that, that was sort of the point of, of the A segment here. Um, the reason that you need those is because any incumbent president has a very, very strong incentive to want parts of the law that are interpreted ambiguous, you know, that are that are legitimately ambiguous uh, to then be interpreted in their favor when they're the guys calling the shots. Right. And and so here's the issue. The, the issue is what counts as the official performance of your duties? It is, in my view, not a preposterous argument to make, right? I, I, again, we covered this case extensively on opening arguments. I think I even came on uh, Daily Beans to, to to talk about it with you. I know you and I have talked about it a lot, you know, off the air, if, if not. So, you know, our, our listeners know which side we're on. But but I need to tell you, as a matter of, of case law, it, it is not a preposterous position to basically say, um, the president, particularly when answering questions from the press, is always on the job, right? You know, it's part of his job is to publicly be the leader of the country and answer questions and talk about it. And he's always the president. He's never not the president. Um, I thought we got a very, very good decision uh, from the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia um, saying, no, this falls into more of a category because the closest case that's on point involved a, a congressman saying anti-Semitic stuff. Right. Um, and 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 
and the court said, yeah, this seems closer to that case that like, you know, you you saying uh, things about, uh, uh, you know, credible rape accusations does not is not part of uh, doing the job of the president. Um, but I'm not surprised that an executive agency would want to. I'm, I'm disappointed, uh, but not surprised that an executive agency would want to come in and on appeal argue for uh, the broadest possible interpretation, even if it's in service of, you know, the worst possible human being. Um, and, and you know, look, like this is um, we should expect these fights. It's part of why, uh, you know, it, I've, I've talked about institutional checks, but like virtually all of the decisions that enabled us to survive by the skin of our teeth in the Trump administration were adverse Supreme Court rulings, typically like, you know, stemming from Clinton v. Jones, right, in the, the Paula Jones matter, right? And so the kinds of things that, you know, uh, extreme partisans were, uh, you know, arguing against uh, 30 years ago, you know, sort of came back or 25 years ago, came back to to protect us. I, I know you're not buying what I'm what I'm selling here, but I'm doing my best. Well, let me give you um, because first of all, Judge Lewis Kaplan, right? She's the one who held uh, or he's the one who held while commenting on the operation of government is part of the regular business of the United States. Commenting on sexual assault allegations unrelated to the operation of government is not. Yep. And I stand by that one. And then Joyce Vance, Joyce Vance says, I do understand. She understands the Department of Justice's argument. She says, but the timing seems important here. And in cases that the DOJ cites, the conduct that is the gravamen of the tort seems to have occurred during the period of employment, which isn't the case here. Right. That's not the case here. And, and so, but the but the cases that the Department of Justice is citing, the, the thing happened during employment. And if and, and she goes on to say, if Department of Justice loses the case. Trump will just claim they threw him under the bus. And she goes on to say, as a practical matter, what appears to be an effort to protect the Department of Justice's ability to, to defend employees in future cases seems more like a lose-lose for them. And and that's uh, kind of where I stand on it. Uh, so I, I, I love Joyce Vance, as you well know. Um, I, I, I don't disagree with what she was saying. I, I, I would say as a lawyer, right, the... The reason you can draw that distinction is because the, the, the case law is ambiguous. And I don't know that the most salient aspect of what counts as on the job performance is whether commenting on the underlying event also occurred while you were on the job. Right. Trump's alleged rape of Eugene Carroll uh, did not. Right. I mean, that that's very, very clear. Uh, but you could imagine a situation in which something happened before you were president, uh, but then gets discovered when you're president and you're asked to, to, to comment on it. None then, of this is to I say. I think that you fucking. Uh, <laughs> look, man, I it I'm all, all I'm saying, I, I all I'm saying is. Uh, that and I just think say that... no comment. <laughs> Seriously, I agree with that. I look, look. I, I applauded the, the the DC court's decision. I, I hope that uh, that it's upheld on appeal. I think it's in a good spot to be upheld on appeal. Uh, I think it's it's bad that the DOJ has decided to intervene. Um, uh, but I'm not surprised. Is all I'm saying. Yeah, but then uh, that, that looks bad for the DOJ for even making that stupid fucking argument in the first place. 
Uh, all right. You are. Yeah. All right. We could we could go on forever. On I, that. I, I, I want to I want to air it. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, although, you know, I do have I had to drop uh, one of my, my first dissertation project because it was about military sexual trauma. And I just I was too biased to, to be able to think and argue clearly. It might be the case right here. Uh, and so uh, what I would like to do uh, is to move on to talk about something good. That happened okay. this week <laughs> within right. the Biden administration, which uh, is this, I admire your effort. <laughs> which is this really great bolstering of the Endangered Species Act? Uh, they announced Friday, Biden administration, that they have plans to roll back policies from the Trump administration that severely weakened the Endangered Species Act. Because you know, why not, uh, Andrew? We all remember the Endangered Species Act. Oh, yeah, that's the uh, half century old law that saved the bald eagle. Uh, it saved the humpback whale. Uh, it saved the grizzly bear and, you know, uh, probably dozens of other species. I thought Captain Kirk saved the humpbacks. Admiral, there'll be whales here. I love it. The, the most accessible uh, Star Trek movie. Although, obviously, right, you you and I both agree, right, Wrath of Khan still number one. Right? Yes, Wrath of Khan yeah. uh, and then Undiscovered Country. And then... I, Undiscovered, Country, Undiscovered Country is really, really good. It's yeah, shockingly right. underrated. Um, all right. Uh, Wrath of Khan, right, is is Moby Dick in space. Like, it's just, it's so, it's so good. Um, anyway, all right. Uh, so uh, Biden's U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and the National Marine Fisheries Service are moving to undo, right, through new rulemaking, much of the Trump administration's work that altered the ways uh, that uh, various habitats of plants and animals um, that are on the verge of extinction were kept from total collapse. Oh, kind of like the 2020 election. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and this decision to bolster the government's power to protect endangered plants and animals comes as the world finds itself in the midst of what the UN scientists say is a worldwide decline in biodiversity that threatens to erode food systems and other key parts of the global economy. Yeah. Um, and, and again, all of this stems from we, we covered this on episode one. This is one of those day one executive orders, in this case, executive order 13990 uh, that uh, that Biden came, you know, uh, pen in hand, already pre-written, just ready to sign. So uh, implementing that executive order, the principal deputy director at Fish and Wildlife Service, Martha Williams, said in a public statement that she will work with industry. Uh, and Native American tribes to not only protect and recover imperiled wildlife, uh, but also to ensure that the Endangered Species Act and other cornerstone conservation laws are helping us meet 21st century challenges. Right, because it's an old law. Um, yeah. And under former Interior Secretary David Barnhart, Trump whittled down multiple longstanding protections for wildlife in favor of, you guessed it, Industry, loggers, ranchers, and other corporate interests. Big surprise. Uh, and there's lots of examples of that policy shift. Yeah. And, 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 and again, you know, we're talking about a lot of structural things in this episode. So w one of the biggest examples that it, it, it was really hard to explain publicly how bad this was, uh, was when, uh, as direct result of a Trump executive order, um, executive officials implementing that EO allowed wildlife officials to take the economic cost of conserving species 
into account when deciding whether to put a plant or animal on the endangered species list in the first place, right? Um, and, and, and the reason that that's terrible is you're now double counting the costs, right? Like the, the whole idea of identifying a, a species as endangered is to say, okay, here's where the problem is now, right? Let's use a cost benefit analysis and figure out how to fix it. Um, this said we we define endangered by uh, a, a complex of factors that includes, well, you know, how hard is it to save a snail darter anyway? Right. Um, and that uh, that that move was decried by environmentalists as violating both the letter and spirit of the law at the time. But again, you know, it, it's it's hard to to raise public outrage on structural stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah. And and they also made it easier to remove protections for threatened species, such as the American burying beetle, which once scurried nearly everywhere east of the Rockies, but now lives only in a few parts of the country and it's further threatened by climate change. Under Trump, the Fish and Wildlife Services weakened protections for that beetle at the behest of oil and gas drillers who must work around the imperiled insect. We've heard about this for decades, this kind yeah. of stuff. And 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 here's the thing, and I really love that you begin that by, you know, by by talking about a beetle because right, we 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 have this kind of, you know, double-edged sword with the Endangered Species Act where, you know, it's really easy to get people to love and care about like panda bears and white rhinos and, you know, super cute animals. Um preserving insect species and biodiversity is often crucial to the kinds of habitats that makes it possible for the cute animals to live in. Right. Yes. And, and, and like, you know, you get, it's why I, I mentioned the, you know, the, the much maligned snail darter that was like, this is what Republicans want to do. They want to be like, Oh yeah, you care about saving snails and beetles and you know, whatever look like when you upset the, the bottom of the ecosystem, <laughs> right. You have no idea what's going to happen, right? Like that's how you get murder hornets, right? Like that's how you get colony collapse disorder. Right? Like it's just, we have no way to protect it. Anyway, Biden is going to revise or rescind those rules. And, uh, David Henkin, senior attorney at earth justice, which, um, sued the Trump administration over those changes, said that the Biden administration's announcement is, quote, excellent news for critically endangered species. So again, mm. right, you had a lot of pessimism so far this episode. Um, it will be way worse with the other guy in charge, right? Our guy's still <laughs> doing everything he can. So Yeah, and get this. The Republican response is that they're criticizing the move because it could potentially undermine any push to rebuild roads, bridges, and other infrastructure if opposed by environmentalists. That is right. <laughs> That's right. The infrastructure bill they are fighting is their excuse to fuck over endangered plants and animals. Uh, you know, I mean, just classic Republican argument, right? It's like the, you know, why, why are we giving money to, you know, foreign nations when we have poor people at home that I can vote against trying to give money to? <laughs> right. yeah. yeah, we uh, have, that's their whole thing, right? Uh, we have homeless veterans right here. Why are we sending yeah. money to the Northern Triangle? Uh, right. Oak, will you vote on this bill for the homeless veterans? No, get that nope. shit out of my face. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So Republican Representative Bruce Westerman from Arkansas actually says, quote, by reinstating burdensome regulations, this administration has once again opened the door for environmental groups to weaponize the ESA, that's the Endangered Species Act, and use it to delay critical projects across the country, not adding that I'll also vote down at a moment's notice. Weaponize the ESA to delay critical projects. Why are they weaponizing it? It's to stop you from making extinct 
species and wildlife. Like, what else is their fucking goal? I don't even, I can't, I can't. Now, many environmentalists say these moves don't go far enough. Of course, there's still a lot of work to do. Plenty of other Trump moves, including a decision to deny protections for the monarch butterfly along the West Coast. That still remains on the books. Uh, But we'll keep you posted. I'm sure they're going down the list as fast as they can. Mm -hmm. Uh, All right. Hey, everybody, we're going to be right back with CNN exclusive Rudy Giuliani tapes. You don't want to miss it. Stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG for Clean Up on All 45. Remember when telehealth was a nice idea, something that seemed convenient but not necessary? Well, that is a thing of the past, and how many of us can't imagine going to a doctor's office right now, you know? I mean, thankfully, there's practical and affordable ways to take control of your health and get personalized care from the comfort of your own home. And that's SteadyMD. That's where they come into play. SteadyMD Primary Care is your personal doctor online. It is telehealth done right. You start by taking a quiz and get matched with a licensed primary care physician who understands your lifestyle and your health needs. Next, you have a one-hour intake appointment with your doctor to start a real relationship. And after that, your provider's available anytime by text, phone, or video. Unlike other services, this isn't a random doctor on call. Each SteadyMD doctor has a limited number of patients on their panel so they have time to listen and give you the personal attention you deserve. I actually found their quiz to be really informative and very easy to take, very user-friendly, and I love my match, my provider, catered just to me. I felt immediately comfortable and confident in my physician. SteadyMD Primary Care can help you get and stay healthy, manage chronic conditions and concerns, reduce stress, lose weight, sleep better, feel better, boost your immunity, so much more. All from the comfort of your own home. You know I love that. Skip the waiting room, skip the germs. Prescriptions are sent directly to your home or to your local pharmacy. Get your medical records all in one place and get unlimited access to your doctor for just $99 a month with no additional visit fees or co-pays. SteadyMD will even help you understand and get the most out of your health insurance, but insurance is not required. SteadyMD Primary Care is now accepting members of all ages in all 50 states. So go to SteadyMD.com cleanup to take the free quiz and see which doctor is a perfect fit for you. SteadyMD.com cleanup. There's no risk, no long-term commitments to get started. That's SteadyMD.com cleanup and cleanup is all one word and we thank them for sponsoring the show. Hi everybody, welcome back in an exclusive... CNN has obtained audio recordings of the phone call between Rudy Giuliani, Kurt Volker, and Andre Yermak. Yermak being one of Zelensky's senior advisors, president of Ukraine. We previously had the transcripts of these calls. We've covered this, these calls, Andrew. But now we have the audio. And this was the call that came before. It was the precursor to the famous call, the perfect call between Trump and, mm-hmm. Trump and Zelensky. Uh, and this is the call, the Rudy call, that Volker testified about during Trump's first impeachment. Yeah, you'll remember that during the roughly 40-minute call, Giuliani repeatedly told Yermak that Zelensky should publicly announce investigations into possible corruption by Joe Biden in Ukraine and uh, also an investigation into claims that Ukraine meddled in the 2016 election in favor of Hillary Clinton and to hurt uh, Donald Trump. Um, and, and just to be clear, uh, these separate claims are both uh, untrue and uh, insane. <laughs> yeah, let's listen to uh, the part of the call where Rudy tells Yermak that all he has to do is say he's going to investigate. And all we need, all we need from the president is to say, I'm going to put an honest prosecutor in charge. He's going to investigate and dig up the evidence that presently exists. And is there any other evidence about involvement of the 2016 election? And then the Biden thing has to be run out. Somebody in Ukraine's got to take that seriously. Yeah. 
So that's the quo to the quid, right? This is 18 U.S.C. 201 classic bribery. What the Trump administration was asking for, right, was not for an actual investigation to be done. They wanted Zelensky to announce that they were investigating it. And that is 100% a thing of value to the Trump 2020 campaign. Yeah, so that indicates, right, that they weren't actually interested in answers from an investigation. They were only interested in how it could help Trump in 2020. I I don't see how you could, how any independent-minded person, and I agree, we're not, you know, independent on this, but but, but I don't see how any fair-minded person could look at that and come to any other conclusion. I would point out, like, that evaluating those kinds of statements are the kinds of things juries have to do every day in these sorts of cases. Yeah, and and here in this clip, Rudy goes on to yeah. just <laughs> dig as grave as deep as he possibly can. Let's listen. If he could make some statement at the right time that he supports a fair, honest law enforcement system and that these investigations go wherever they have to go, going to be run by honest people, that would clear the air uh, really well. And I think it would... Make it possible for me to come and make it possible, I think, for me to talk to the president and see what I can do about making sure that whatever misunderstandings are put aside. And maybe even, uh, I kind of think that this is this, this could be a good thing for having a much, a much better relationship where we really understand each other. So there's the quid, right? He literally tells Yermak, if... You, if you if you do this, then you get this. If you announce the investigation, just announce. You don't have to do. Just announce. And if you do it, quote, at the right time, what does that even mean? Uh, I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> that if that, then Rudy says he'll talk to Trump and they'll put misunderstandings aside and have a much better relationship going forward. This for that. Squid pro crow. Andrew, that is bribery. Yeah, it it it. It, it is. Um, and, and again, right, it, there was so much more than just these two statements, right? But, but any prosecutor, I think, would, would look at, well, let's start with this. I am 100% certain any grand jury anywhere in the country would indict for bribery under these circumstances, right? This, again, I, I've alluded to the law. It's 18 U.S.C. 201, uh, subsection B2, super duper clear. It says, whoever being a public official directly or indirectly, right? So that is through your lackeys, corruptly demands, seeks, receives, accepts, or agrees to receive or accept anything of value, Right? personally or for any other person or entity in return for being influenced in the performance of any official act has committed bribery. Right. And, and, and we have talked about each and every one of those components, but like they're really, really clear, right? Trump's a public official. He's indirectly using Rudy Giuliani. He is demanding a thing of value, right? Anything of value, a thing of value is having a foreign country, uh, announce baseless investigations into your Democratic opponent, right? Um, and 
to 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 do that in exchange for being influenced in the performance of any official act. Right. So even if you listen to that, like Dershowitz nonsense about how, like, that, you know, the president can, you know, hold off on giving aid if he thinks, you know, whatever, even though the law doesn't let him do that. Right. It doesn't matter if you've changed your position, if you've been influenced in your position at all in exchange for getting stuff that's valuable to you, that is bribery. And I will tell you the bribery cases that are hard to prove, right. Is the, we've talked about this on the show before are in light of the McDonald decision, right? Mm -hmm. It's when it's hard to prove that you're doing a public act, but like releasing aid to a foreign nation, that's not hard to prove that's public act. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And we know that right now, Audrey Strauss in the Southern district of New York is investigating Rudy Yep. For his shit in Ukraine, his shenanigans there while, you know, trying to find dirt on the Bidens. And we know that the Eastern District is conducting a separate investigation into Ukrainian officials for interfering in the 2020 election by spreading claims of corruption about Biden through a number of channels, including Rudy Giuliani. Rudy so far hasn't been indicted or identified as a subject in the Eastern District investigation, but is a target in the investigation in the Southern District. And it's unclear, though, if these tapes that you're hearing here are part of either investigation But the Southern District of New York probe ramped up when Garland's Department of Justice (laughs) gave the go-ahead for the raid on Giuliani and Tonzig in April. Uh, And it's just interesting timing we're hearing these tapes right now. (laughs) And some news on that uh, front. The court has approved the prosecution's request for a special master in that investigation. Yeah. And not just any special master. They approved the same special master that the courts used in the Michael Cohen case when they had to go through his documents with the taint team and look for privileged information. Her name. And again, um, very briefly, was a former partner of mine at, at Zuckerman Spader. Her name is Barbara Jones. She is a retired judge. <laughs> in a delightful bit of irony, she currently works for Bracewell LLP, a law firm that Rudy Giuliani used to work at. And let me say parenthetically, like that's not rem- if you are in down the conspiracy theory rabbit hole, it's not a conflict of interest. It's not a sign that the fix is in. It's not right. Like it, it, it isn't. Barbara Jones is I, I mean, you know, take a look at the work she did in the Michael Cohen case. Yeah. So wait. <laughs> so. <laughs> So Rudy's being investigated by the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District, where he used to be a U.S. Attorney. And he's having his devices and documents come through by a former judge that works for a law firm he used to work for. And it's the same special master that went through the Cohen files, who was also raided in the month of April and was also a personal attorney for the former president. Yeah. And and, and, and not only that, I mean, like, while I'm heaping accolades on on Barbara Jones, uh, she previously served as a U.S. district judge for the Southern District of New York. So what is, uh, for those who don't know, what's a special master? Because it sounds exciting to me. <laughs> a, a special master is just is just anyone, um, typically a retired judge, uh, that the court engages to help take some of the burden off of our unbelievably overburdened courts, right? Um, So they will, uh, in this case, review documents and records, um, but they can also uh, prepare kind of interim uh, rulings and recommendations. Um, In in the Cohen case, right, uh, you used a special master because uh, the documents were seized in an attorney's home and office, right? And, you know, was part of the 
uh, impartial taint team review to make sure that um, there weren't documents that covered attorney-client privilege. It was super easy in Cohen's case because he's not a real lawyer. Um, uh, U.S. District Judge Kimball Wood, who oversaw the case against Cohen, said that uh, at the end of the proceedings uh, that Barbara Jones, quote, performed her review with extraordinary efficiency and speed while giving the parties a full opportunity to be heard and that she and her law firm showed professionalism and careful attention to detail. Mm. And, um, you know, he can uh, call me out like that anytime. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if previous timelines are any indication, Cohen was raided in April and pled guilty to charges in August. Do you think we could be looking at an August time frame for Rudy as well if they decide to bring charges or is there a lot more they have to go through? It, so here's the thing. He's an actual attorney. Yeah. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the relative legal practitional, practitioner merits. Um, it, is, it is much more uh, Cohen flipped immediately and cooperated. Um, and, and Rudy, I think, uh, is going down with the ship. Uh, and is unhinged and, you know, uh, probably thinks that Donald Trump is coming back into office to pardon him. So um, so I could be I, a while. I would not look at that time frame. No. All right. Well, we do have uh, one more quick break and then we'll get back to the D block uh, for our favorite segment, comings and goings. But we do have to take this quick break. Thank you so much. Hey, if you don't like the commercials, you know, which I do. <laughs> I kind of like the commercials. Uh, I, you know, I read them. I mean, them. I like the Andrew, ones you read. read. Them. <laughs> uh, we got the good music behind them. We got the job behind them. Uh, but you can become a patron uh, or you can, you know, just hit that arrow button. But uh, either way, stick around because we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's Allison for Cleanup on Now 45. Fun fact, most home remedies and over-the-counter acne products do not work. I'm sure you know. And even worse, they can damage your skin. When I was a teenager, a friend of mine told me to put toothpaste on my blemishes. Uh, Then I brushed my teeth with zip cream and shampooed with mouthwash. None of it worked, uh, by the way. But you know what does work? Prescription treatments. And that's why we're excited to partner with Apostrophe. They are sponsoring this episode. Apostrophe is a prescription skincare company that offers science-based oral and topical medications that are clinically proven to help clear acne. Apostrophe connects you with a board-certified dermatologist who will create a personalized treatment plan that is perfectly tailored to your unique skin. Simply fill out the online quiz and your skin goals and your medical history, snap a few selfies for your dermatologist, board-certified, and they'll create a customized treatment plan for you. Apostrophe treats acne, but they can also help hit other skincare goals like reducing redness, wrinkles, and even dark spots. My personal skincare goal is to avoid acne because, I don't know, for some reason in menopause, I don't have my zit clemency yet. I've been waiting, but I do not. And so this has been so helpful to me. Uh, I also want to reduce some dark spots, and I want my skin to always look its best. And Apostrophe is really nice to know you have a real dermatologist with Apostrophe, and, and your plan is tailored just for you. Submitting my first visit was quick. It was easy. took minutes. I didn't need to schedule an appointment. Best of all, I didn't have to go to the pharmacy or wait in line to get in my meds. I didn't have to go to my primary care physician to get a referral to a specialist. Uh, they sent me directly there to this board-certified licensed dermatologist, and they sent me a cute postcard and stickers to personalize my prescription bottle. It's very fun. And we have a special deal for listeners. Save $15 off your first visit with that board-certified dermatologist at apostrophe.com cleanup and use code cleanup, all one word. This code is only available to you 
So to get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash cleanup and click begin visit. Use our code cleanup at sign up and you'll get $15 off your dermatology visit. That's apostrophe.com slash cleanup and use that code cleanup to get your normally $20 visit just for $5. Where are you going to get a board certified dermatology specialist copay for $5? It's amazing and they're wonderful and it's so fast and easy. Again, use the code cleanup to get your dermatology visit and save $15 and we thank Apostrophe for sponsoring the podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to Clean Up on Aisle 45. It's time for your favorite segment, Comings and Goings. We have two Trump holdovers, to which we are bidding a hearty adieu. <laughs> we begin with proof that the progressive wing of the Democratic Party remains vibrant and active as we wave goodbye to Trump lackey William Dunkey, who is out as chair of the five-person Public Company Accounting Oversight Board, PCAOB, at the Securities and Exchange Commission. The SEC announced on Friday that it was firing Dunkey and replacing him with Dwayne Desparte, whose primary qualification is that uh, he's not William Dunkey. <laughs> <laughs> that he's not William Dunkey. I love it. Uh, and this move was 100% the SEC's response, by the way, to repeated requests by Liz Warren and Bernie Sanders to begin to clean house over at PCAOB, which was a bipartisan oversight board created as part of the Sarbanes-Oxley Act in 2002 in the wake of Enron, WorldCom, those big scandals. Uh, the PCAOB's job is to oversee the independent auditors that big companies are required to hire to verify their numbers. Yeah, and I note that you say that's the PCAOB's job, at least theoretically, because during the prior administration, <laughs> you will not be surprised to learn that the board got packed with, you know, industry sycophants who did the typical Trump thing of taking an important oversight committee and wrecking it from the inside through stuff like, you know, not hiring to replace key employees who retired or quit. Uh, and then uh, with the folks who were there, uh, quoting Senator Warren, engaging in, quote, a pattern of non-enforcement against violators and retaliation against whistleblowers. Huh, same thing that happened at the VA Accountability yeah. and Office of Whistleblower Protection where I used to work. Weird. Uh, and don't forget that the PCAOB was also caught leaking insider information as to when it was inspecting audit firms to one of the nation's largest auditing firms, KPMG, in 2017. So, yeah, just sort of, hey, we're coming next week. Um, so, again, this is reminder number, I don't know, seven or eight in this episode that one of our major political parties and hint, it's the Republicans has as a core tenet of its ideology that government doesn't work and then proceeds to prove that by immediately breaking the levers of power whenever they're elected to office. Yes. So people stop electing Republicans. Not you, but, you know, everyone that, you know, this is more proof that we can and do affect the Biden administration from the left. We can push. Not only is Dunkey gone, Warren says she's pushing for a bigger shakeup at SEC, which responded by saying it would seek new candidates for all five of the PCAOB board member slots, even though there are three board members still in place and two of those are Republicans. So we'll continue to have some buh-byes in the future, it seems. <laughs> Bye-bye. And, and so uh, for the next goodbye to you, it, it's not a person, but an inanimate object, the little known website. <laughs> From the desk of Donald J. Trump. Uh, I, 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 I could not comment on this. Uh, it was supposed to allow Donald Trump to bypass those evil Section 230 wielding social media monsters, Twitter and Facebook, and speak directly to his supporters. The only flaw in the plan is that uh, Trump supporters are MAGA hat wearing idiots with the attention span of goldfish that's quit Adderall cold turkey. 
Yeah, literally no one read this thing except maybe Trump critics or Bobby, Bobby Bottle Service. You know, I'm a producer. <laughs> you can find me on angelfire.com at AOL. And uh, I like vodka cranberry. Uh, and after a couple months in a death spiral, Trump finally pulled the plug on his unloved and unread brainchild, leading to this delightful eulogy in the New York Times. <clears throat> Quote, Mr. Trump had become frustrated after hearing from friends that the site was getting little traffic and making him look small and irrelevant. And while it's fun to laugh at Trump and his failures, and believe me, we continue to do that, it's important to note the connection between social media, instant communication, and the rise of right-wing populists who know how to exploit it. I didn't realize just how thoroughly Trump had used Twitter to deeply develop a millions-strong loyal following of birtherists and other racist nitwits before the 2016 primaries. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, in, in in 2018, Brian Winter embedded himself in the then upstart Jair Bolsonaro campaign in Brazil, and he wrote about it for America's Quarterly. Uh, Bolsonaro at the time was considered such a fringe candidate uh, that Winter was actually criticized, letters to the editor, for normalizing an extremist and giving him a platform in American media. Uh, seven months later, Bolsonaro would win the presidency. Anyway, the, the, the thing that really struck me from reading Winter's article was that um, the Bolsonaro campaign essentially spent all of their time on social media, right? Like they built 4.8 million Facebook followers and that's all they did. Yeah. And this is the kind of thing we, we could laugh about in 2015, but should terrify us today. Have you read volume one of the Mueller report? Now, especially with the the inappropriate bar redactions lifted that covered up the breadth and scope of the social media manipulation by Russia. So we've seen that Trump's Facebook ban is going to extend through 2023, which becomes a pretty crucial time to see if that gets re-upped. So, uh, I mean, I, the way I see it is that the board went, all right, well, let's see, uh, two years. He'll either be dead, indicted or <laughs> running again. So let's give it two years and see what happens. Uh, maybe Maybe the horse will sing, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that that's it for today's show. And if you have one takeaway, it's this. Begin organizing now. Take a deep breath and get ready to vote in 2020 numbers in the 2022 midterms, even though it's going to be harder and we're going to have to do it backwards in heels. Uh, anyway, uh, Interesting note to end on, right, Andrew? But I, I just, I, you know, I want to, I want to just keep driving that home, and I, I also just want to say one last final bye bye to from the desk of Donald J. Trump <laughs> at angelfire.aol. <laughs> and if this episode is not called backwards in heels, then uh, we've done something wrong. I think you're right. I think you're right. Well, my friend, uh, it's been another wonderful uh, hour almost, and uh, I appreciate your time and. And uh, I, I really, you know, I just wanted to take a minute to thank you. I love this show. I love this partnership. I love what we're doing. Some of the things that we're running across can be very frustrating. Mansion, the Department of Justice, in certain circumstances and other circumstances, yay. In certain circumstances, boo. Just remember uh, where we would be if yeah. we didn't work so hard and where we're going to be in 2023 if we don't do it again. It, it it's a it's a big complicated world out there and I, I i can't think of a better partner to sort of help try and navigate through all that so uh so thank you so much and i love doing the show and can't wait till next week yeah and now that we're both vaccinated you got to come out do this live in the studio 100 percent. take a vacay 
All right, everybody, we'll see you next week on Clean Up on Aisle 45. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is written, researched, and produced by Allison Gill and Andrew Torres with editing by Molly Hockey. Our art and logo designer by Joel Reeder and Moxie Design Studios, and our music is composed and performed by Adam Orr. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com. They might be giants have been on the road for too long. Too long. And they might be giants aren't even sorry. Not even sorry. And audiences like the shows too much. Too much. And now they might be giants are playing their breakthrough album Flood. All of it. And they still have time for other songs. They're fooling around. Who can stop They Might Be Giants and their liberal rock agenda? Who? No one. This ad was paid for with somebody else's money. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, Welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry... We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in an Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.